Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Christian Sager. And today, we're going to talk about something that squicks a lot of people out. Slugs and snails. How Do, do they bother you? Well, the way I've long looked at them is um, snails are okay. Slugs uh, are a little disgusting. Right. And and slugs are always... I, snails, when, when I discover a snail, I feel like it's kind of a treat. Like, oh, look, there's a snail. And yeah. It's, uh, it's carrying its home on its back. It's a little piece of nature. Yeah. But yeah. when the slugs come, I feel like the slugs have come just to wig me out. Like right. last uh, last Easter, well, the Easter before last, we did the thing where he hid the painted eggs in the backyard. Sure. We got uh, we got my son out there to look for them, but the slugs had already found them, and the slugs were crawling on the eggs. Oh wow! And so this year I had to I had to hide them all up high to keep the um, to keep the slugs from coming out and engrossing me. That's out. interesting. I wonder yeah. if a slug would try to eat an egg if it could. I guess it depends on the slug. Some of the ones we're going to talk about today. Could potentially, but I don't know that they would necessarily eat egg yolk. I don't know. They were on these these eggs, though. Fascinating. They were coming for them. I, slugs. I, I do want to say that I I'm not the kind of person who goes around melting slugs. I don't want to harm slugs. Right. Yeah. Slugs are great. They they do their job. They they have a role to play in the ecosystem. I just usually don't like to look at them. There is something inherently. I guess alien about them. Mm-hmm. And the the idea the the reason why I was attracted to it and I've been thinking about it is the idea of something that only has one foot. Like literally mm. I didn't realize that, but that is how it's referred to. They have a foot and that foot is what just pulls them along. Mm-hmm. And the sort of muscular contraction and flexing I think is what freaks people out a little bit. Yeah. Um but then snails are really, as we're gonna get into, the same thing just with a pretty shell. And we're we're okay with them. Well, and then of course they're the sea slugs, and we're going to be talking about some sea slugs today. And they're often just incredibly beautiful. So many different fabulous yeah. colors going on, uh, and and with many um, other sea uh, gastropods as well. But uh, but yeah, for some reason it's the it's the weird gray or sometimes yellow land slugs that that creep me out. Mm. And of course, there's so many. You look at any particular snail or slug, and their their life cycles are so fascinating. Their biology is so wondrously grotesque. Yeah, uh, I mean, you can't look away. Yeah. Well, let's get into that. Actually, like the actual anatomy, the sort of genera of gastropods. So, gastropods are a 600 million year old type of mollusk that sometimes have a single shell. Those are the, the snails and their body is asymmetrical. That's something I didn't know. I guess I always assumed that the bodies were symmetrical. Uh, as of 2015, we know that there are 35,000 species of these gastropods. Uh, they vary in structure. They have different lifestyles, as we're going to talk about today. The smallest are barely visible, like there's teensy, teensy, tiny ones. And then the largest, which are usually sea slugs, can weigh up to 30 pounds. <laughs> and all gastropods, they can occur in marine, freshwater, or land habitats. Uh, most of them are what we would classify as hermaphroditic. 
They can mate with any other mature animal of their species, and they lay eggs. Usually they lay their eggs in water, although we'll talk today about some some kind of oddities in the egg laying of uh, snails and slugs. On the uh, hermaphrodite uh, issue, I, I do want to point out we have an older episode yes. that, did with, that I did with Julie. Uh, it's worth checking out in the archive because we go into the, the topic of slug reproduction and it's many strange uh, yeah. details uh, at length. Yeah, th- that particular slug is really interesting. And I think you also have a blog post related to that episode that I found as well. Yeah, I mean, there's I have a number of blog posts devoted to slugs uh, from just the, the strange ways that they reproduce with others or with themselves. Yeah. And uh, and also the topic: What happens when a slug eats a psychedelic mushroom? I did explore, <laughs> explore yeah. that topic. You well. know who I thought of when I was doing the research for this? Mara Hart, uh, oh, who we've yeah. had on the show before, talking about uh, marine creepy crawlies and their sexual habits. Oh, I'm sure she can weigh in on, on some sea slugs. Yeah. Uh, so they have weird bodies. That goes without saying. But just like if you want to sort of map out their bodies in accordance to ours, their gills or their lungs. And their anus are actually above their head, and they have two separate pairs of tentacles, one for their eyes, for sight, and another for smell. And I mean, it makes sense, the anus above the head, because if you're going to, if you, if you look at the snails, the, their rear portion is in the shell. Yeah. How are you going to get the waste out? Exactly. And then once they lose the shells uh, and evolve into different forms, they're still going to keep the basic plumbing structure. Totally. Uh, now, here's the thing about snails and slugs that I didn't know and I, is going to be important later. But the way that they eat is through something called a radula. And it's a ribbon-like tongue that has thousands of tiny teeth on it. And basically, they drag this tongue along the ground and scrape up food. Though, there are some carnivorous snails. And we're going to talk about one of those today. They can bore holes through the shells of other mollusks with these radula to eat their flesh. So they basically like suck out the insides of other, uh, basically any other gastropod and some, some mollusks. Uh, but usually a snail or a slug, their usual diet is something like algae or leaves or lichen, sometimes small insects or, or tiny marine organisms. But we also know that they eat decaying plant and animal matter. That's that's usually when we think of them, you know, as being yeah. like if you've got like a compost pile or something like that, they'll show up. Yeah, I mean, they're major decomposers, right? So. Right. So they're important to the food chain, uh, not just in the sense that they eat decaying matter for us, but they also serve as a source of food for fish and birds. Now, of course, another one of the reasons why people don't like them that much is they're all slimy. Uh, and for land snails, the slimy thing is important because it provides a slime track that helps with their movement. So the way to think about this is it's this wave-like muscular contraction of their one foot. So it's like a wave moves under their... Imagine if you just had one foot, you would cut off one of your legs, and you've just got the one foot, and you don't hop on it, but the, the foot kind of undulates <laughs> underneath you and propels you forward. And you're constantly spitting, I guess, on the ground to create some a track that has less friction that's kind of their game (laughs) (laughs) okay uh but snails also have as we know outer shells and these are both their homes and their protection when they're afraid they'll close up in them and here's something i didn't know about snails i thought it was just like turtles right they just like sucked up inside of it they actually have plates that are under their bodies that will like help seal up that situation to keep them even more protected and there's all types. I mean, like, when you think about snails and slugs, like, you've got 
abalone marine snails that people eat. You've got uh, the common garden snail, and then you've got those huge conches. Oh, yeah. Conches? Conches? Conks? Conks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you mainly know because of how big their shells are, and people use them for, like, horns and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, there's just... There's this huge variety of them. They're all over the world. They're even in the Arctic and Antarctica, which I think is wow. fascinating. Yeah. So there are so many fascinating specimens we could talk about here, but we know we have limits, um, both limits in terms of time and limits in our ability to gaze deep into the, the gastropod world. Can you imagine if we did an episode where we just talked about all 35,000 species? It'd be a long episode. Yeah. Yeah. Or we just have to shout out their name. <laughs> I, I can't do the math in my head, but I wonder how long the episode would be. It's a lot of Latin. If we just had to shout the Latin names. Yeah. So we're only going to tackle six here in this episode. Um, I think most of these are going to be marine uh, gastropods. The weirdest tend to be marine, mm-hmm. although there are a few land ones that have, well, we'll get into it, but there's some weird evolutionary reasons why they're on land now. Yeah. So we basically chose our uh, rogues gallery of, of gastropods here that we wanted to cover today. The the weirdest ones that we found the most interesting. Yeah. And as we go, uh, one little fun game we can play, I think, is think of a um, of a Marvel mutant yeah. that matches up with the the, uh, the the grotesque powers of this particular gastropod. Right. Yeah. Because the, they all. Yeah. They basically have their own power sets. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to kick it off with the first one here. Uh, this is a really fascinating uh, specimen that is uh, known as the scaly foot gastropod, which is is not the greatest name. I feel like it's a little generic sounding. Yeah, we're coming up. We're going to have one that I want the audience to help us actually come up with a name for. Some mm-hmm. of these guys have got common names like scaly foot. Ghost slug we're going to talk about later. Slug, yeah. They could be better, though. Yeah, so the scaly foot gastropod is uh, the common name for uh, Chrysomalan squamiferum. Sounds good to me. Yeah, it's a it's a deep-sea hydrothermal vent snail, and uh, it certainly doesn't disappoint on our expectations for alien hydrothermal vent biology. It's essentially, it made me think of like a Weapon X program snail, and <laughs> right. uh, particularly it made me think of... Uh, this this guy cyber yeah he's like one of wolverine's enemies from the 90s right like wolverine everybody knows wolverine because wolverine's got the adamantium claws so they were like what we need to make a bad guy that wolverine can't cut so they Mm -hmm. came up with this guy who like i think they doused his skin in adamantium or something like that yeah he has an adamantium shell and i mainly remember him because he was in like a super nes wolverine game oh okay yeah yeah Yeah. and you like fight him in the astral plane for some reason but weird okay yeah but that's who i kept thinking about totally dispose of the purpose of his armor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cyber fans and cyber experts will have to, to write in with their thoughts. On yeah. This. So re- researchers discovered the scaly foot gastropod in 1999 during an expedition to its home, the uh, uh, Kerry Indian Vent, a series of deep uh, gouges in the seafloor along a volcanic mountain chain below the Indian Ocean. So we're talking 2.5 miles beneath the surface. And remember, geothermal vents are often home for extremophile organisms, creatures that adapt to high temperatures in the dark. Uh, for instance, it, this is the kind of place where you find microbes that use chemosynthesis to turn vent ecosystem chemicals into energy. And uh, here amid the, the black smokers or uh, geothermal chimneys that boil up uh, into the sea and boil the sea, um, this is where you'll find the scaly foot gastropod, uh, a place where 
their high temperature fluctuations, high acidity, and there are predators you have to deal with too, crabs and other snails. So what is your ga- your your average uh, extremophile gastropod going to do to survive? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've gone over this on the show before, but that part of the world is really the most alien we can get mm-hmm. like on the planet Earth. And the things that survive and evolve around those vents seem to give us some sort of indication of what we might expect on other worlds, right? Like, oh, yeah. I, I think, um, it, was it Europa? It might have been or something else. Like people were speculating that Europa maybe has similar vents under the ice, uh, and that there could be similar creatures surrounding their vents. Yeah. The, uh, Joe and I refer to a few of the different moons where they have, uh, uh you know, Jovian or, um, or, or Saturn uh, moons that have the, the possibilities for that kind of life. And indeed, astrobiologists in trying to conceive what life would be like under there if it existed uh, frequently turned to these examples. So what's a scaly foot gastropod do to protect itself? Well, like uh, cyber, it has some serious body armor. Uh, in fact, it has a trifold, basically a riddle of bodily protection. The outer layer is embedded with iron sulfite granules. The middle layer is a thick organic layer. And then the inner layer is calcified, uh, you know, essentially like a normal snail shell. So this is like the plate mail of the snail world. Like it's got three separate layers oh, yeah. of dense material protecting it. And it's not just, again, it's not just the shell. Like if you look at the scaly foot, like it's got these these armored ridges coming out of its sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the each layer is interesting in and of itself, but the 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 really fascinating thing is the way they work together. So I'm going to go through each layer here real quick. So the outer layer, we're essentially talking about iron sulfide nanoparticles. And the scaly foot gastropod or uh, or SFG if you will is the only organism we know of to really incorporate these uh, in, into its shell here. Uh it's it's able to acquire these particles from the water around the black smokers uh, which is rich with the with these particles. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so okay, it, it so takes it's taken in. from the environment mm-hmm. to build it. Neat. Yeah. And uh this is also a very thin layer. It's the thinnest of these three layers, but it's the strongest. Now, when force is applied to the outside, such as, uh, you know, when a crab comes a, a clon, the outer layer cracks, but the cracks are, are, are fine. They're tiny. They dissipate the energy and prevent larger shell-shattering cracks from occurring. Okay. And the tough iron also grinds back against the attacker's weapon. So this is like, you remember that um, science experiment that we all had to do in high school where you had to drop an egg off of your the roof of your school? Did mm-hmm. you do that one? Uh, I don't remember us ever getting to go up on the roof and do it. But oh. I remember seeing it on TV, like Mr. Wizard. I went stuff. to two separate high schools, and we did it at both of them. You know, they, they, so they give you an egg, and they say mm-hmm. you've got to figure out a way using science to drop this off. I think the way, like I ended up doing it, was putting it in a jar of peanut butter and yeah. having the peanut butter absorb the the shock. But this seems like a, a smart way to do it, right? You've got that first outer layer that absorbs and spreads the the kinetic energy across these cracks. Exactly, and. It, yeah, I mean, it comes down to the situation with the with the egg experiment. Children are trying to, you know, maybe a, a science teacher trying to solve this engineering problem. Mm. How do you cushion the egg? But as always, you can look to evolution. Evolution has uh, spent millions and millions of years yeah. cracking these problems. Uh, no pun intended. Life will find a way. All right, so that's the outer layer. The middle layer, soft and spongy, just, you know, nothing but snail flesh, and it absorbs the force of the blow and dissipates the impact even more before it hits that inner layer. 
And again, that inner layer is just calcium carbonate, uh, which is in keeping with most snail shells. But here's the thing. Remember how I mentioned that this environment is very acidic? Well, if it was, if you just had a normal snail and a normal snail shell out there, the shell would dissolve away in the acidic waters of the, the vent environment. So the outer layers seal this inner layer in from the acidic water and guard it from bursts of intense heat. They might cook it. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah that would be very convenient for the predators. There's just dead cooked snails floating yeah, around. Yeah, self-cooking snails. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, all three layers, they work together. And there are also potential uh, biomimetic a- approaches uh, and applications here where uh, where scientists think we could we could look at this and we could develop better body armor, better vehicle armoring, based on this wonderfully evolved design. Yeah, that was one of the things that I remember reading about the scaly foot. And it's it's fascinating in, in many of these examples of these weird snails, how we're now looking at them and we're saying like, okay, that's cool. That superpower is cool. How do we apply that to our technology and take advantage of it? But at the same time, they're usually in these environments that are under threat and they could possibly go extinct. So there's this like weird situation where... I don't know about the scaly foot, but some of the other ones we're going to talk about later where they're in uh, areas where they're threatened and we have to say, well, like we've got to protect this area so that we have enough time with the actual animal and researching it so that we can then duplicate those efforts into our you know, Iron Man technology. I do hope that if they create a suit of power armor based on this, it is some sort of genetically engineered living uh, mollusk, living gastropod that you just kind of slip into. That would be very cool. I'm thinking of, um, do you remember that, uh, we're going to talk about this in the other episode this week too, the the, um, Great Ten, that superhero team from China, Mm -hmm. the August General in Iron, he kind of has that thing going on. He's got the weird like mollusky shell kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Somebody needs to get started on this. Yeah, get, get started on uh, on the the, the next uh, big gastropod based uh, superhero. Well, from that one, we are going to jump to my pick first off, which is the Selenoclamus isbridia, which is uh, notoriously difficult to say because it's a, a amalgamation of Welsh and Latin. <laughs> uh, and it, for short, though, people call this the ghost slug. Ooh. Uh, and the ghost slug is relatively new. So it has no eyes, it's completely white, and it lives underground where it feeds on earthworms. So remember what we were saying earlier, most of them aren't carnivorous, but this is a carnivorous one. It kills these earthworms with powerful blade-like teeth, and it... <laughs> This is multiple places referred to this said that when it eats them, it sucks them in like spaghetti. Oh. Uh, it won't even eat other plants like other slugs. It's like it's exclusive to earthworms. I think I've seen I have seen videos of this uh, slug in action. It's it's richly disturbing. And yeah. I think it's probably what inspired that sequence in Peter Jackson's King Kong where uh, Andy Serkis gets his head eaten by a giant slug. Oh, yeah. I yeah. forgot all about that. I can't because well, it traumatized me. <laughs> and, well, Andy Serkis got to keep acting, though. Wasn't he just like King Kong himself, too? Well, yes, yes, but just it wasn't actual Andy Serkis. But I forget, I forget most things about that movie except that scene where Andy yeah. Serkis is eaten by a, a giant, disgusting uh, slug creature. Have you seen the new Kong movie? No, I haven't. Oh, I think you'll dig it. There's some yeah. cool um, monster scenes in it. It's it is a 
great, like, like big, dumb, fun popcorn monster movie. I mean, like, I was surprised at how gory it was and the crazy creatures they came up with hmm. on uh, Skull Island. I'll have to check yeah, it out. But there were no ghost slugs. <laughs> so the ghost slug, it has this anatomy that is slightly different in that the breathing hole for the ghost slug is actually in its tail. And get this, it can retract its head inside out. Uh, and the reason why is that this ability helps them extend into earthworm burrows. So the way that you tell a ghost slug apart from other white slugs is that it has a disc shaped mantle on the rear of its body. Usually other slugs have the, the mantle sort of over what we would refer to as the shoulders of the slug. And get this, the tentacles that I referred to earlier, we all know those little like snail slug tentacles that we think of. These ones don't have any eye spots. So that's the other way to tell them apart. There's no little, you know, dark holes where they were technically see through. Uh, it possibly indicates that this is an animal that evolved inside a cave system before it got to where it is today. It can also extend itself up to 110 millimeters. So, I mean, that's not that big, but it sounds, sounds big. When you think of how big a millimeter is, this is a garden slug, basically. All of that is legitimately making my, my stomach feel a little uneasy. Yeah, there, well, the, that's the thing is, and I highly recommend, you know, if you're listening to this episode, you're nearby a computer or your phone or something, take a look at what these look like on Google image search as we're going through them. The ghost slug is, Unsettling. There's something very unsettling about it, especially the white flesh of a. I don't know how you describe slug flesh. I've been I've been thinking about this a lot lately because it is fleshy in the same way as human flesh, but it's I don't know. It's it's got some texture, some tactile nature to it that's repellent. Hmm. Slug like. I mean, <laughs> yep. That that's that's the yep. <laughs> oh, and uh, and by the way, if anyone out there does want to see pictures uh, of these uh, creatures, I'll try to have an image of each one on the landing page for this episode at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Uh, awesome. Okay. So, the ghost slug was actually first noticed in 2007 in Cardiff, Wales. So that makes me think that it it, it couldn't have been an inspiration for. Uh, for that Kong movie, because didn't that come out in like 2005? Hmm, I guess so. Okay. Yeah. Um, but there's other white slugs. Anyways, uh, so they found it in Cardiff. It was named by experts at the National Museum there. And they basically figured out like, okay, this thing lives in meter deep soil. The name, remember I said it has this combination Welsh name, is Bridia. I, I know I'm butchering that, but I'm sorry, guys, I'm not Welsh. It sounds like a dark slug god is what it, it sounds like. It has a really cool origin for its name. So that is the Welsh word for ghost. Is Brid, uh, and because of it being a spooky nocturnal hunter, that's why they named it that way. The Selena Clamus name uses the Greek words for cloak and Selene, the goddess of the moon. So the technical name for this thing is, ready for it? The moon cloaked ghost slug. Oh man, that is good. That's like classic D&D monster manual <laughs> territory. Um, so they think it was introduced to Britain actually through potted plants, which means hmm. it's alien to the region. It belongs to a subspecies that's called Triogonoclamididae. <laughs> Let's hope I got that right. Uh, and this is specifically found in Turkey and Georgia, but not Wales. So uh, in 2012, there was actually a, a research paper that was published. They narrowed down its origin to the Crimea uh, area. 
And a lot of what we've learned about the ghost slug since then has been through citizen science. This is kind of cool. So people have been networking with British experts through social media, taking pictures and sending them over to teams that are working on, you know, gathering up taxonomy information about the ghost slug. Over 300 people have sent in responses. Most of them have been misidentifications, but they've now narrowed down 25 populations of ghost slugs in Wales. Most of them live in gardens. They're, they're fine around human beings, but hey, if you're an earthworm, watch out. Oh, it just makes me want to protect the earthworms from, yeah, because it's thing. spaghetti time if you're oh. an earthworm. Oh. You want to take a break? Let's do it. Let's take a quick break to collect ourselves after all of that. And when we come back, we will uh, we will dis- we will explore the world of the geographer cone. All right, we're back. You know, as terrifying as that last slug was, uh, as you mentioned, it's absolutely no threat to humans. Yeah, it's just gross. Yeah, the same cannot be said, however, for the geographer cone. Mm. This sounds like something that John D would have, uh, yeah. like laying around on his alchemy table. It does sound slightly uh, alchemical, doesn't it? Uh, so there are roughly 640 known species of cone snails, but uh, this one in particular, Conus geographus, is by far the deadliest. So the cone shell itself is uh, four inches, ten centimeters to six inches, fifteen centimeters long. And it's not that impressive, really. If you spent much time hunting shells at beaches, you've likely seen some form of a cone shell before. It always makes me think of a hot dog bun for some reason. You know, it kind of. I do, yeah. I, I think uh, hopefully everyone's uh, picturing the what I'm talking about here. Otherwise, uh, check out the picture on the landing page. Uh, it's not a perfect description, but it's roughly the shape. It's not a. It's it's not not that it's an an, an ugly shell. It's just not uh, generally what you think of as just a. Uh, uh, you know, put on the shelf, beautiful kind of display. Right. Shelf. Yeah. So, the geographer is another uh, one of these um, snails that is a stone cold carnivore, and it feeds on mollusks. It feels feeds on worms, but here, get this: it even feeds on fish, live fish. Wow. They're slow movers, but they pack a deadly toxin laced harpoon. Oh, okay. I'm trying to, all right, let's walk us through this. So the snail shoots a harpoon out of its body through the water up at a fish that's nearby it. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes down. Now, of course, you're wondering where does a, where does a a geographer cone get its harpoon? Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned, we talked about its mouth part, the the snail mouth parts earlier, Mm -hmm. about that, uh, that chitinous, uh, radula, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, it's essentially a small, Tooth, essentially a snail tooth. So when the the geographer cone senses its prey, it loads one of these uh, these teeth into their proboscis, and then they coat them with this uh, special venom cocktail, and then they shoot it at the passing creature, paralyzing it, and then they eat the prey along with the harpoon. Wow. Okay. So this is like if I. <laughs> I'm going to do a human analysis here. Okay. If I yanked out one of my canine teeth and I shoved it up my nose mm-hmm. and then I like did a snot rocket shooting it across yeah. the room, but it like kills a fish. The yeah. velocity is so fast that it pierces the fish and the mucus from my nose is poisonous to the fish. Yeah. And you would also be in a Cronenberg film, I think. Yeah. 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 
Uh, in fact, wasn't the existence, right? They had the, the gun Did they that have shot one? human teeth? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, we've talked about that on the show mm-hmm. before. Well, basically the same thing. Very Cronenbergy creature, this uh, geographer, Cone. Now, the venom in question is quite remarkable as well. It's a poisonous mixture of a uh, hundred different toxins. And if you look at all the cone snail species out there, uh, scientists say there are probably 50,000 different toxins among all of them. So this cocktail makes for a potent neurotoxin, dangerous enough to take out any natural prey animal that the cone would be encountering. But it can also take out a human. According to BBC, there are around 30 known human deaths from geographer cones, and a person has about a 30% chance of surviving if you get stung by one. Wow. So I'm thinking of like... um uh, the tetrodotoxin that we've talked about before that is used in Haitian rituals to the whole zombie thing that we talked about in the serpent and the rainbow episode. Yeah. It's probably similar to that. Although that tetrodotoxin comes from a puffer fish, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's certainly the, the comparable uh, situation there, but, uh, for the most part, you don't have to, to worry about this creature unless you're hanging out in the red sea, the Indian ocean, various Indo-Pacific reefs, the Australian coast. Mm. And, um, you know, if I were to stick with the, go back to the Marvel theme, I guess this creature would kind of be Marrow. Isn't that the one that shoots bones out of her yeah, body? Yeah, Marrow, yeah, her power was that, like, she could grow any of her bones out and just pull bones right out of her body and use them as various weapons. Like That's kind swords, of what's happening here, harpoons, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, how about the ghost uh, snail? We forgot to, yeah, to pick somebody for that. The ghost snail is tough, but I guess the closest one I could think of from, from sort of X-Men is, uh... Do you remember Caliban? Oh, he was actually in the more recent okay. Logan movie he's the, played uh, by Stephen Merchant. The Morlock leader. Right? Yeah, uh, he's not the leader, but yeah, he's like an albino okay. uh, who uh, is able to detect other mutants, uh, I think, like through pheromones or something like that. And mm-hmm. the ghost slug mainly uses chemoreceptors to okay. find these earthworms and chew them up. So, yeah. All right. So we've got we've got some real obscure X-Men characters <laughs> here so far. Cyber, Caliban and Marrow. All right. What's up next? Another difficult to pronounce name. And this, stuff to blow your mind, listeners, this is your opportunity. We can contribute together, come together. Let's come up with a good name for this weird thing I'm about to present to you because it does not have a common name. Its name right now is Opisthostoma verum iculum. And the word verum iculum literally means Wormy. So that's, that's not a whole, you know, that doesn't, that's not very descriptive. We can do better than that. So help us out here, guys, because this, this thing is crazy. When we think of a snail shell, we're usually picturing something that spirals and coils in a logarithmic manner around a single axis. But shells are part of a snail's interface and how they survive. Some marine vermitids can deviate away from this, and they have been known to have up to two or three different axes that the snail shell spins around, okay? And while most shells spin in a right-handed manner. There's also something that's referred to as sinestroid spirals. Oh, wow. It's trying to go DC on us. It does sound like that, right? Yeah. And uh, these go, they're left-handed. Uh, and usually shell whorls, 
That's a, an official term, W-H-O-R-L-S, whorls, do not reattach to their preceding whorls. Uh, you're kind of channeling the room there. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> yeah. Um, so this gastropod that we're talking about here, though, is super atypical and it's real puzzling. It actually has four discernible coiling accesses and its whorls reattach to themselves. One scientist described this as biological madness. Uh, it's really hard to study because it's only a few millimeters high, and every time they've been collected, they just die. So we don't know a whole lot about how they live. This thing, based on our Giger episode we were talking about, I think this thing would give H.R. Giger and Junji Ito nightmares. It looks something straight out of one of Giger's paintings. It's like this weird bioorganic plumbing pipe or rocket engine kind of thing, and it spins around and swirls in different formations. Now, scientists have been trying to figure out why this is, and they've ruled out hybridization as a possibility because they examined multiple subjects and they found similar strict developmental genetic control between all of the subjects they've looked at. The shells evolve for a variety of reasons, mainly for either, and this is just general snail shells, not this particular one. They can evolve for coping with predation, for feeding, to make movement easier, and even for sexual selection. So I suppose that, like, you know, one snail look at another snail's shell and say, like, that's kind of hot. I'm interested. Let's move on. Uh, but why this snail's shell uncoils is totally unclear. It might even hinder its movement and leave the shell even more vulnerable to structural damage. So this is like the opposite of the scaly foot gastropod. It's developed this snail shell that we don't know what its purpose serves. It actually makes it slower and weaker, but it looks really weird. They are found in Malaysia, and unlike any of the other multi-access snails, this one's a land dweller. There's some concern that the escalation of limestone quarrying in this area in Malaysia may actually cause its extinction. So this is related to what I was talking about earlier. Or that there may be new undiscovered species that they could be studying. The area was formed by erosion from an ancient marine sediment. So the idea here, they think that what happened was that the snail originally evolved to help with flotation in a marine environment. And then the sediment eroded away, the water went away, they were left in the ground, and now we've got these bizarre four-axis snails that are really just... I mean, they're not evolved to cope with their environment. You know, I can't like, like I said, they've never uh, captured a living one. So I'm trying to imagine like how it even moves through the ground because it's got this basically looks like a pretzel, uh, this, uh, this bizarre snail piping thing that's on it. Well, the, the Junji Ito comparison seems rather apt Mm -hmm. because a lot of the horrors that he creates, you just look at it and it's not, it's not, it's not like so many monsters and creations where you're like, oh, I can see how that thing moves and exists. And it's basically a, 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 a real world predator that's been transformed. Like his stuff looks like it should not be and just doesn't jive with reality. Totally. And he's got that whole book about spirals, Uzumaki. Oh yeah. Uh and it's like the the horror of the book is that like people keep seeing spirals in varying uh parts of nature, sometimes in people's hair, sometimes in I, I can't even remember. There might be one that's a snail shell, hmm. but uh these things basically drive people into madness. Now if they saw one of these in Junji Ito's stories, they 
they'd be done with. Well, maybe it should be the Junji snail Ooh, or the Edo okay. snail. Yeah, I like that. Or the Uzumaki snail. Yeah. Okay. Now, now if it were a Marvel mutant, who would it be? <sighs> this is tough. The first one that comes to mind for me, you, do you remember this guy? He was in the Generation X team in the 90s. His name was Skin, and his power <laughs> was that his skin was bigger than the rest of his body. Oh. Like, it was too big for his the frame of his body, so he could, like, stretch his skin out really far. And it wasn't like Mr. Fantastic where he was, like, elastic. He The rest of his body was normal, but it was just like his skin was really long. So he could, like, wrap his skin up around himself into weird configurations and, like... Oh, wow. So I, he's like, I am elbow flesh man. Yeah, basically. Huh. Like, he just had, like, hanging flesh all over oh. his body. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I think I think he's the best I've got. I don't know. There, there's <laughs> got to be there's got to be some weird mutant out there that's got like a a weird twisty shell, but I can't think of hmm. them. All right, well, let's take one more break. And then when we come back, we'll explore two more amazing specimens from the gastropod world. All right, we're back. So we have two more to cover here, and again, we'll put pictures up. Uh, at, uh, at, the, at the landing page for this episode at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. But uh, I, for, for my final specimen the, that I'm covering here, I wanted to cover a solid gastropod rogue. Uh, so I was tempted to cover the beautiful blue dragon or uh, Glaucus atlanticus. Uh, this is that weird, almost bird-like, alien-looking creature with six appendages and a brilliant blue cover. It, color. It, it looks like a slug bird. Yeah, uh, I saw pictures of this one when I was looking at the various slugs for us to cover. It's gorgeous. Yeah, and they... They uh, they're interesting too, in that they feed on Portuguese man of wars, you know, which is uh, that's insane. The, the jellyfish yeah. creature, yeah, and it absorbs their stinging um, uh, cells for their own protection. Wow! So that's a pretty good rogue, yeah. but I, I could not uh, ignore the 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 allure of the green sea slug or the Alicia chlorotica. Now, what makes uh, the green sea slug fascinating is that it actually steals the power of photosynthesis from algae. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it stands apart from pretty much everything uh, because it's not merely one creature housing another and and uh, and taking on some sort of forced uh, symbiotic relationship. Because I think we can all think of examples of that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to a certain extent, each of us is an example of that. Yeah. So, uh, no, in this case, it only takes the photosynthesizing uh, organelles called chloroplasts from the algae it feeds on. And it does this by puncturing the algal cell wall with its uh, uh, radula and sucking out the goods. And then these bits are incorporated into the green slug's own body, and it, and it keeps them here in working order for the remainder of its life for about a year. So through the, the process of um, uh, phagocytosis, sea slug cells engulf the cells of the algae and make the chloroplast a part of their own cellular content. Wow, okay. Yeah, so they're essentially gene thieves. And can they subsequently use the energy that the chloroplasts are absorbing? Yeah, uh, they, wow. don't, they don't have to eat again for the rest of their lives. That is useful. Yeah. Now... The chloroplasts seem to partially run on stored up supplies, uh, but they also function. So, the, the, and the slugs even pass the chlorophyll producing uh, trait 
onto their young, onto okay. their offspring, though they have, those offspring still have to eat a bunch of algae to actually carry out the, the photosynthesis and sort of kickstart everything. You know what I'm curious about is if some more research was done on this particular one, if it's going to be like the um, pom-pom crab that we talked about a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. in that they take algae from each other as well. That would be interesting, yeah, because certainly... As we've explored the gastropod lore, what world is a, is, can be a cruel place. Yeah. So it would not surprise me. Now these uh, creatures live in the salt marshes of New England and Canada. So they're not too far away from us. They're, they're not as distant uh, a species. Okay. So we got to come up with a mutant here. You got any ideas? Well, I instantly think of, of like DC characters like Swamp Thing and yeah. the, uh, who's the, the vegetable man, man. Oh, the the, the floronic man. The floronic man. Yeah. Yes. And then Marvel's version is Man Thing. Okay. Uh, in the X Men universe, I think there's a character called Anole, but I think mm. it's like more like a lizard guy, and he has this kind of thing like where lizards regrow limbs and things like that. But I don't know if it's connected to, to plant uh, physiology in any way. Well, it's it's essentially a hybrid of plant and animal. So is there a plant-animal yeah. mutant? Not that I can think of off hmm. the top of my head. There's got to be, and I'm just yeah. not... I don't know it off... Yeah. Hmm. Carrot Man, maybe. There's there's a... What's his name? Captain Carrot? I think that's a guy. Oh, okay. Oh, Flaming Carrot. Flaming Carrot. Oh, is is that Marvel? No, that- it's like an independent like oh, comedy okay. book. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I've seen that before, but yeah. I, I wasn't sure where it belongs in the Pantheon. All right, yeah, help us out here. If you've got one, if you know your mutant lore better than we do, there's got to be somebody out there. But I think you're right. I think this is a moment where I think a Swamp Thing or Man Thing can team up with the X-Men okay. and join the team for a little bit because uh, they absolutely are basically made out of uh, marsh muck. <laughs> All right, last one here. This one's got a very pretty name, the Moon Snail or Nataceidae. The moon snail is predacious as well. You can see Robert and I are going for a theme here. We're going for the the stone-cold killers. Uh, It's a marine snail. It searches for other bivalves under sandy shores. So the way it does this is it wraps its foot around its prey and suffocates it. But if this fails, it then uses a gland to secrete acid and enzymes that soften up the shell. So it, it goes for any other mollusk. It will even go for other moon snails. It basically wraps itself around them. If it can't suffocate them, then what it does is it excretes these acids, bores a hole through the shell using its radula. It drills into the victims and then it eats them from within. It's an I drink your milkshake kind of thing. Uh So it literally like puts the hole in and then it just sucks everything out of the inside of the snail shell. Oh my goodness. Um and this leaves behind these nice little beveled holes. So if you ever find a, a shell on the beach and it has like this perfect little drilled hole in it, that might be why because oh, yeah. because it was killed by one of these moon snails. Yeah, my son loves to find those because you can you can instantly make a necklace out of them. Mm, I imagine right. I imagine other people have done that as well. I think that's part of what the, the moon snail economy works on is, is <laughs> necklace making. <laughs> uh it's actually thought that the way that they find their victims is through chemoreception, although my understanding is most snails and slugs and other gastropods, they're all using chemoreception through the um, the scent tentacles. Okay, this is where it gets gross. <laughs> Let's take something as an example that we all know, a clam. Okay? It can eat an entire clam over the period of a day, and it'll keep going. If you put a bunch of clams in front of it, it will eat 
one five centimeter clam every four days. So it just keeps chugging these things down. And it's important because it has this other bizarre ability where it can inflate its body to several times the size of its shell. Uh, the way that it does this is it has tissues that are like hollow sinuses and it draws seawater up into them and that makes it up to 13 centimeters long. So it's like, that's how it helps it make it so much bigger so it can do the suffocating thing. Mm-hmm. Normally they're only two centimeters long. So this thing is like swelling up to this massive size so that it can wrap itself around its victims. Now for movement, it uses the front part of the foot like a plow. So it's like, it's sort of like a, uh, I think of it as like a cow catcher. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it, like scraping them up. Yeah. And it like shoves its way through the dirt. Part of the foot also protects its head like a shield while it's moving through. And so you can see where they've moved through under the sand because they leave these little trails underward, but when they move by. Now, when it lays eggs, this is a cool, uh, sort of reproductive fact. The moon snail, what it does is it embeds mucus from its body in sand together and forms a gelatinous sheet that hardens on the sand. And at the center of this, the snail will lay their eggs in a collar formation. Each collar, it's like this little sheet of gelatinous sand, contains thousands of eggs. And as they hatch, they disintegrate. So in a lot of the articles I read about this, they said, look, look, if you find one of these things, and you, you know, it, it's on the ground, you can see it, you can touch it. Like that means there's still thousands of eggs in it. Don't like pick it up and take it home. Like wait and let it dissolve and the eggs will hatch and move on their way. Uh, but if you see a moon snail shell on the surface, it's probably not a moon snail. It's probably a hermit crab. So that's another factoid because they're usually drilling around underground. Mostly they're found around the tropics, but these ones are also residents of the waters beyond both the Arctic and Antarctic circles. They move out into deeper waters during the winter. So they're, they're really fascinating. I mean, it sounds like they're brutal serial killers of the <laughs> gastropod world, but they, uh, they live everywhere. Wow. Yeah. That is a, that is a, a terrifying uh, specimen. Yeah. Now, now, which mutant would it be? The the whole making its body bigger made me think of the blob, right? Right. Because can't he do that? I extent? think his body's just already big. Okay. Yeah. Um. But the one I thought of was Toad. Do you remember him? He's in the movies. He's played oh, by yeah. that guy who played Darth Maul. Yeah, that's right. Um. Because Toad has like the super long tongue, and then like some versions of him can spit acid. Mm-hmm. So I envision that, like, yeah, like similar to the the moon snail, you he spits on like a shell, and then he just shoves his tongue down there and sucks things out from the inside. So maybe like if he wanted to eat Colossus, <laughs> he uh, he wraps himself around Colossus and uh-huh. he spits on Colossus's back. The acid burns through Colossus's metal back and then he puts his tongue into that one little hole and just drinks, drinks up, slurps up Colossus meat. Ah, well, there you go. Yep. So gastropods, fun. We've yeah. got a, we've got a, a gross little team here. Yeah, and, and I mean the great thing about this is there are so many out there. So if if everyone out there is just really enamored by gastropods today, uh, yeah, we can we can totally uh, uh, get together another team. Yeah. Well, this and you and I were talking about this beforehand, but there is of course an X Men character that is pretty much reviled by everybody, whose name is simply Maggot, <laughs> and his power is he has two like bioorganic slugs that live inside his body, and he 
shoots them out and they run around and eat through things and then come back and climb inside his body. So you were telling me about this and it, I, I had not seen a picture of this character before, so I instantly thought of the character in Clive Barker's Nightbreed, his movie yeah. adaptation of Cabal. Yeah. And I, I can't remember the character's name, but there is one of the the uh, the, the Nightbreed characters who has like stomach snakes that come out. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh well, that's that's cool. That sounds like it's basically that character. But no, this is a crazy looking character design. Yeah, he's like um he t- he turns blue and he's got like kind of a like a, not a mohawk but like a weird kind of clipped little white hair thing hanging off. Uh, and yeah, he was not popular. I don't think he lasted very long. I, I think it was around the like mid late nineties that maggot showed up around with marrow. That one uh, that we mentioned earlier, those two were, uh, introduced around the same time. Well, marrow at least made it into the, the street fighter versus Capcom games. I remember, oh, okay. I remember yeah. encountering her there. I think marrow was more popular because of the, just the general, you know, brutal idea of like ripping your own bones out and killing people with them, like yeah. that kind of thing. But this, uh, this maggot guy, he doesn't, like, the, the maggots or the creatures that he has, they don't even really look like slugs or snails. No, they look like little, like, robots, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I just had, like, looking at a picture of him, I just had a hard time figuring out what I was supposed to feel about this character. <laughs> he is technically a good guy, as it were, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that he's been used very much in the comics for a long time. But, yeah, so... If you just want your generic slug superhero, that's the one to go for. Okay. Good to know. All right. Well, uh, hey, if you, uh, again, if you want to see pictures of these creatures, head on over to stufftoblowyourmind.com. That's where you'll find the landing page for this episode. Plus, you'll find all the past episodes. You'll find videos. You'll find blog posts. Uh, and I will include links to related uh, slug and snail matters on that landing page as well. And if you want to write into us and let us know what we should call that weird four-axis snail, well, there's lots of ways to do it. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We are on Tumblr. And we're on Instagram. I guess you could take a picture on Instagram of your name, or maybe you could uh, draw this uh, this uh, crazy thing once you've looked at it and give it a name. But uh, I like uh, the Uzumaki snail. I'm leaning towards that. But that maybe, sounds good. There's, yeah. there's got to be something cool out there. Uh, or, hey, you can just do it the old-fashioned way, and you can just write us a letter at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.